I love Jesus's parables, these stories of meaning, in fact, deep meaning, that talk about the things of God, that talk about our humanity, that reveal what it looks like when God's will is done on earth, when we're living into his intention. Jesus reveals what life is like of the Father and with the Father through these amazing stories. And we've journeyed the last four weeks in the story of the prodigal son, or the lost son, or the two lost sons, or the prodigal God. Different commentators call it different things, but there's so much within this parable, but we have used it as a lens to just even think about the seasons of our own soul, our relationships, and how we journey through life. And it's not always never onward and upward, but there's these seasons that seem to come around often, and, and some seasons are like fall, where we have to learn to release things, release people, like leaves that fall from a tree or an oak tree that lets its acorns grow so that hopefully new life would come. Again, there's seasons of winter where the cold realities can sometimes sober us to the fact to remind us and realize just where are we in this whole journey. Or as that younger son came to his senses. There's seasons of spring when that frozen ground begins to thaw and new life can spring up through and and it's all about repentance and it's all about repairing and, and making way for new stuff to grow. And today we talk about summer, when things flourish and thrive, when this amazing abundant life with God and others is restored and brought back to its flourishing. But you may be surprised at what it actually takes to have things flourish and thrive. And that's what we're going to look at today. But before we do, I want to um, jump back into the context of what Jesus is talking about in these really three parables. We've been looking at the last of three parables, but um, Jesus is talking to actually some people that are challenging him. If you look in um, Luke 15, the very first verses, this is the context of the parables we've been living with. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I'm so grateful for Fee's noodles that just magically show up at my chair every week. But we're going to talk about the value of feasts a little later. So they kind of are jeering. Then Jesus tells them this parable, which actually would become three parables. The parables of lost sheep, the parable of a lost coin, the parable of a lost son. And perhaps it's just me. You may be able to relate, like I grew up in the church, I've heard this parable many, many times, and so often we're focusing on lost things. And that's not a bad thing, but it's, we're reminded of those wayward times, and maybe we're like the younger son, right? Sometimes we're reminded of repentance and what it means to return. Sometimes we use these parables for evangelism, like we want to go find people that don't know God, that they're lost, and we want them to, to be restored to that And those are all good things, and we need to remember those truths from these parables. But I want to suggest to you that just maybe, because of the context, Jesus is saying that, but perhaps he's saying something else. Perhaps there's a teaching that Jesus, with those Pharisees and teachers of the law and those that were listening, that Jesus wanted them to grasp, and I'm just going to tip you off, give you the big idea for today. I believe Jesus is saying that we're not to be 
just like the sons in the story, but we are actually to grow to become like the Father himself. We're not to remain children, but we're actually to become the Father. That's what we're going to explore today. You know, and the Pharisees, they actually thought they were right. Because you see, God had laws, and then they built boundaries and laws around them so that people would know how to actually follow God. And that was their passion, to do it the right way. And those that didn't, they found themselves distancing themselves or putting down or judging. But when people would do things right again, then they could be accepted. And Jesus, I believe, was wanting to turn the world upside down. Because I think he was saying you could be right in one sense and wrong altogether. You can miss the very heart of who God is and what he's doing and what is actually now among you. And you need to hear it. I read Henry Nouwen's book titled The Return of the Prodigal Son. Henry Nouwen is one of my favorite authors. Just one of these brilliant people that have the unique way of kind of peering into the soul and humanity and the things of God in a way that it just, at least for me, connects it, especially in a relational um, sense. And in that book, Henry talks about the compassion of the Father in this parable. In fact, Henry would say that the goal of the spiritual life is the compassion of the Father. Let that sink in, because if I asked you before you walked in, what's the goal of the spiritual life, I doubt many of you would say the compassion of the Father. I want to journey back into this story about halfway through um, and, and have us re-engage it. And as we do, I'm going to uh, freeze a couple of the slides on the screen so you can just see the movement of the father in this parable. In the story, um, we have seen the prodigal come, this younger son that basically said, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the inheritance, the estate, which have been a third of the property. The father does so. The son leaves squanders it with wild living, the scriptures say, and finds himself in a pig pig pen with nothing. Um, Can't even eat the slop that the pigs are given. And he comes to his senses and returns home. Um, And this is where we pick up the story. But while he, the prodigal son, was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But it's almost as if the father cuts him off. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. And bring a ring for his his finger and sandals for his feet. In other words, the father is reinstating him into the family. The family robe, the family ring. A new clothing, a new identity is being brought back into this young son's life. He says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them, what's going on? Your brother has come, they replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older son became angry and refused to go in. His father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, 
In other words, I lived the right way. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. And when the son of yours who has squandered your property and his property as the heir of the estate, with prostitutes, and he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. I want to make just a couple quick observations and then press a little further into the life of the father. The first is this, you know, the father, he seeks out both of his sons, the good, the bad, and perhaps they were both ugly, I don't know. You know, I I saw a picture of Clint Eastwood, I know I digress, a picture of Clint Eastwood the other day, and I just thought, I I honestly grieved, I'm like, there will be no more great Western movies anymore, like, he's kind of past that day, and I'm just like, the end of an era has come. Anyway, sorry. Um, God moves towards those who will at least come in proximity to him, while the son was still a long ways off, the father runs to him, this younger son. The father goes out to that younger brother. And as I thought about this, and I was reflecting on some of Henry Nowen's words, um, it's almost like two sides of a coin. Um, kept going back and forth. And I wonder sometimes if, we've, if we have still, even with good intentions, become too much of the focus of what God is really doing in our lives. Let me ask you a few questions. Are you to find God or are you to allow yourself to be found by God? Are you to love God or are you to allow yourself to be loved by God? Are you to know God or are you to allow yourself to be known by God? You know, I think one of the foundational truths, one of the foundational questions that we have to accept if we are going to grow is that just realize that we are the beloved children of God, that God loves you. And I guess the question is, can you accept that you are worth looking for, that you are worth finding, that you are worth celebrating simply because of you and being loved by God? second thing that we draw is that the Father extends invitations, extends an invitation to reclothe this younger son and to bring him into the feast, back into the family to restore and reestablish this relationship. He extends invitations to his household, the other family members, the servants, and others that would have been around to come celebrate. We see this in all three of those parables, and he extends an invitation to the younger son, to the older son who is standing at a distance, who is angry, who does not want to move towards restoration but is standing against it. He extends an invitation. But, you know, the thing about invitations is that they have to be, what? Accepted, received, or else you're always outside. You know, we never know if that older son came back to the party, to the celebration. We never know if he accepted that invitation and I just again remember the context of what Jesus is saying because I feel he's just knocking these Pharisees and teachers of the law down not to be mean but to say do you not see the opportunity that is there for restoration for good things to flourish and thrive 
I want to press into this idea of the father becoming the father a little more because it really did, it captivated my imagination a little bit. And I, I, maybe I'd heard that in the past, but never in quite the way as I was just thinking about it these last several weeks. And, you know, one of the basic facts of life is that we're not to remain as children, are we? You're supposed to grow up. Children are supposed to grow up from children to teenagers and adolescents and to adults. And then the circle of life kind of begins again. They, they become the parents or, you know, the leaders. And um, if a child does not grow, if it doesn't mature, then, you know, we flag it as something is unhealthy. Um, but I wonder sometimes if we've learned to live as children, stayed as children, as the sons in the story, and, and never really had a, a vision for what it actually would mean to become like the Father, like God himself here on earth. <clears throat> the compassion of the Father is the goal of the spiritual life. If you would have asked me that before I started preparing for this message, what's the goal of the spiritual life, I would say something like, to be like Jesus. Sounds good, right? But think about the things that Jesus said. He said, I and the Father are one, meaning like each other, like meaning the same. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, Jesus was constantly reflecting the life of God, the life of the Father with those he was with. It radiated out of his life. And so to say we want to be like Jesus is another way of saying we want to be like the Father. And reflect on the compassion of Jesus for a second. Do you, I don't know if you remember this. This is earlier in his ministry in Matthew chapter 9. Um, and all the crowds are coming and Jesus says this. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. This is why Jesus was challenging the Pharisees in these three parables because compassion, the very heart and life of God, doesn't distance and push itself away from pain and hard things and people. Compassion pulls you towards it. You run after those lost things. You go out to that older son. You look, you search, you find, you enfold, you celebrate, you restore. That's what the compassion of the Father does. And as Henry went on, like, I think what was challenging to me, he says, compassion really has three movements, three components. He says, compassion involves grief, forgiveness, and generosity. And I'd never thought of compassion in that way before. And, and honestly, the, the begin with grief, uh, I had a hard time getting my mind around it, because I think of grief as um, being sorry or feeling sad for something for me, compassion always thought was feeling bad for something else, feeling sorrowful for something else like outside of me. But then I got it. I began to process this a little more and I saw that grief really is tied to the painful impact that people in this world are not as they should be. Sometimes people wander and squander. Sometimes pride keeps relationships and people away, or sometimes we keep ourselves away from other people. Sometimes this world groans um, just in pain and brings disaster. And the root of all of this is sin. Because you see, there was a time when there was no grief. There was life with God. There was life with others. There was life in the cre created world, and it worked, and it flowed, and it was good. 
And sin entered this world, and it broke the relationship with God and humanity. It broke the relationship with each other, and it said, you know, now creation is subject to pain and sin. But God, I think his heart broke in that moment. And what he did is started pursuing, like that compassionate father and creating a way where, you know what, that relationship with him can be restored and the relationship with each other can be restored. And actually, the, we're gonna, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be created again in a way that works. Grief will be no more. That's why I love the heart of Jesus. <clears throat> you see this heartbreak this grief in his words, and this is in Matthew 23, and this, this would be just days perhaps before he would be arrested, before he would be crucified. And I picture him standing on the Mount of Olives looking over to the next hill of Jerusalem, and this is what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather you as children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing in the, probably the most intense time of his ministry, can you hear the heartbreak of Jesus who actually came from the Father so to his people, right? That's a new day. The kingdom of God has now come to earth and it was gonna begin with his people and they pushed him away because it didn't fit within the boundaries that they had created. And I think it broke his heart that the very people who he was hoping would embrace it instead would do something much worse. <clears throat> grieving the sin of our lives, the, the sin of others, the sin that has impacted this world, it really does kind of create this juncture point where either you're going to push it away or, or pull away, or perhaps you lean in and pray with a broken heart, praying for God's will to be done, praying for the lost to be found, praying for the distant to now belong, praying for goodness to be restored in this world that God loves. And I have to be honest, this is hard for me because it's way easier for me to remain distant and to be that older brother. You know, to look at a son who actually deserved everything that he had. I don't move with compassion when I watch the news sometime and, and I'm a little too overjoyed when justice is served to some. And, but then there's times when I zoom out a little bit and instead of just looking at that one person, I, I see brokenness. In this world, I see brokenness in them. I see the pain and the horror that's going on around us. And it, and it leads me to a different place. Not as a judge, not as a Pharisee, perhaps, but the heart of God just breaks something in me. And I'm sad. I grieve what has happened in our world. And it moves me then to another place, to forgiveness. Last week, Dan touched on this. He said, you have to believe that repair is possible. Forgiveness um, was unthinkable in the story Jesus told. We're, we're not a first century Jewish culture, so Dan gave some great context. But for the son, this younger son, to basically say, I wish you and the family were dead. Give me what is mine, the inheritance. He was cutting himself off, declaring himself no longer part of that family, and it was disgraceful. Um, and as Dan shared, if he would dare return again, if he would show his face, um, it was grounds for stoning. He would have been killed. Um, 
And instead of that happening, and that's probably what everyone was waiting for, kind of at the end of this story that Jesus was telling, the, for a, a distinguished father, a patriarch, to actually run would have been a no-no, but to actually throw his arms around and embrace the son who is essentially dead to them and wished that they were dead. Um, if that would have happened, everyone would have made sure that his destination would have been sealed. Except we see something completely different. <clears throat> something completely different. Um, you can see how radical Jesus' message was. And it violated what they thought was right, but it went beyond their boundaries. Um, and again, we say we want to be like Jesus. And I remember Jesus' teaching. Peter was talking to him one time, and, and they, were, they were addressing this. Like, forgiveness, like, how much do you need to do it? And Peter says, you know, if someone, brother or sister, sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? You know, and I think Peter was probably, you know, being generous, trying to, like, exaggerate the point. And uh, Jesus says, no. You're not supposed to forgive him seven times. In fact, you should forgive them 77 times. Or some translations say 70 times seven. In other words, Jesus says forgiveness is limitless. There's not a condition, there's not a boundary. The compassionate Father forgives. And I think when he was on the cross, in that horrible moment, you've got criminals insulting him, you've got these religious leaders insulting him and making fun of him, you've got other people mocking him, some others crying off in the distance, and, and what does he do? He takes this, with only a few breaths left, this panoramic picture in his own mind of all of this entire scene. And I just picture him looking up and he says, Father, forgive them for what? They know not what they do. Even in the most, the worst of moments, Jesus sees with compassion the pain and the brokenness and it moves him to forgive because he just honestly believed, even though they weren't right, there was something broken and that's why he was there. <clears throat> do you ever think about your own forgiveness? Do you ever think about, I mean, God knows everything, everything we've done, everything we've thought, everything we've said, like it's all laid before him and he says, I love you, I'm moving, I'm running towards you and I am forgiving every single one of those things now and for eternity because I want to reclothe you. I want you to be in the family. I'm throwing a party in your name. The question that is hard for me is that I don't know that I always extend that kind of forgiveness to others. It's a little easier to remain right. It's always a little easier to remain on the outside and to wait for people to shape up or to let them live with their own consequences instead of being that father that just moves towards them, that runs towards them. You know, one of the hardest things I think to do is forgiveness because often it means we've got to step over ourselves over our pride or whatever we're holding on to, to move towards another. Um, and sometimes we just can't do it. Um, I think that's why becoming like the Father it was, is such a challenging goal. Um, it's unimaginable in some ways. Not seven times, but... 77 times, Jesus says, it's easier to remain a Pharisee or that older son. Um, Sue Ann 
Dave Garza, because he has so much time on his hands, apparently did a mishmash of a, of a he, he created a song when my wife, Sue was preaching back at Oak Brook, and she was admitting, you know, and, and I, don't know, I don't know the context, but she said, Eric is right. And so Dave kind of creates this song, but like, there's another line she goes, she goes, you can be right or you can be married. She goes, That's, that was the advice I gave the kids. And I'm like, actually, it's not too bad of advice sometimes. But, you know, but sometimes you can just stay stuck in your rightness and never experience the release, releasing others to be forgiven. And what we often forget is that it releases us to be able to move towards someone else. Until that forgiveness takes place, until we release that person, we're not released to move towards them to take that next step in restoration. Grief helps us identify with human suffering and lostness. Forgiveness is stepping towards those challenges like the father pursuing his sons and welcoming others around the table. This is the third movement. It's the generosity piece. Um, In this story, I don't know if you notice how much the father is being generous all throughout. He was being generous in the way he reacted to a son who probably could have had him stoned even before he releases his property, but he gives a third of his estate away. He tells his older son, everything I have is yours. I'm giving you it all. And when the son, the unthinkable, comes back with compassion, you know, through that, the grief that he must have gone through for, whether it's for a few months or those years, he extends that forgiveness and it just his heart overflows um, with generosity um, and he throws a feast and it's do you ever notice how many feasts are in the Bible it's like from beginning to end because see feasts bring people around a table and to bring people around the table is about relationships and relationships are about intimacy and if there's one thing the Pharisees knew and they beat Jesus up a lot about this verbally is that he was always at the table with the wrong people Jesus accepted moved towards, ate with, built relationships, restored things around tables. They were a powerful, powerful symbol. And so we see this feast and this burden that this older son has about the fattened calf. It would have been the uh, premier meal reserved for the highest of honor and occasions. And that is the, this father just lavishes all of this goodness on a son that probably doesn't deserve it. But the father's economy works a little different than our own sometimes. I recall the words of Jesus where he says, which of you fathers, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, which of your fathers, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I mean, that's a tough dad right there. Could you imagine that, dad? Can I have an egg? He goes, how about a scorpion? Bam! You know, it's like, uh, that's, that's a bad dude. But Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, right, though you are... You know, you're, you're not perfect. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit, his very presence, his very life to indwell those who ask him? <clears throat> We're to model this amazing grace, this amazing mercy, this amazing forgiveness, this amazing generosity to help others flourish and thrive with God and with each other. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, you have been given through Christ every spiritual blessing in heaven. Why in the world would we hold on to it and not let it flow generously to others? 
We need to close our time, but I want to draw your attention one more time. That we are not to remain children, but we are to grow up to be like that compassionate father who grieves over what is not right, who forgives seeing the bigger picture of what is going on in our lives and our relationships and blesses generously for the sake of restoration, for the sake of things and people flourishing and thriving with God and with one another. Henry Cloud closes his book with this. Grief, forgiveness, and generosity are then the three ways by which the image of the Father can grow in me. They are the three aspects of the Father's call to be home. The Father, as, as the Father, I am no longer called to come home as the younger son and an elder son, but to be there as the one with whom the wayward son can return and be welcomed with joy. It's very hard to just be home and wait. It's waiting in grief for those who have left and awaiting with hope to offer forgiveness and new life to those who will return. Friends, you may find, may you find in the seasons of your own soul, as the years come and the seasons come, may you find yourself releasing, find yourself realizing, find yourself repenting and repairing, and I pray you find yourself restoring like the good Father, like our compassionate Father. May you become like him. And may the parable of your own story change the story of this world. Would you pray with me? God, we just give you thanks for your word. God, we give you thanks that you love us to the degree that you would sacrifice all. (laughs) The grief that you just could not bear anymore to deal with sin, the forgiveness you offer on the cross, and then God, the generosity that you've poured into our lives to be at the table with you And to God, to give us the ministry of reconciliation, to grow up, to be like you, like Jesus, like the Father. God, being your agents in this world so that your will would be done. That, God, we would welcome home the wayward. That, God, we would extend forgiveness. God, we would restore relationships with you and with one another. God, grow us to be more like that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.